All right, today we're gonna just spend some time doing a little panel, a discussion. Um, one of the things that I love about the Solomon Foundation field team is that they are boots on the ground kind of people. And the main reason for that is because we love relationships. We are more than a lending partner. We are your friends. We are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to do ministry with you. We want to resource you, network you, connect you. We want to be friends with you. We want to hang out with you. Uh, and I just love that this field team is out there meeting with people, eating with people, talking the easy conversations, the hard conversations, the celebratory moments, and the challenging ones too. Um, that's what you can always count on this team for is to show up. And I thought how neat of them to do that one and two, let's pick their brains and see what's going on out there in the field. I know a lot of times you guys just have the perspective of your city or your county or your state, um, but how neat to get to stop for a minute and hop on a call and get the perspective of what's happening across the United States. And so that's my main purpose today is to just pick these guys' brains. And I want for you to do the same. There'll be a time at the end for you to ask a question. So if you think of a question, jot it down or put it in the chat, and we'll be sure to add those questions um, to the team as well. So first, I'm not sure everybody knows our field team. Now, they're not all here today, but most of them are. So I would like to introduce them. And then I have a list of fun questions for them, plus whatever yours are at the end. Uh, let's start all the way on the West with Gary Shear. Yes. Hi. This, <laughs> this is our friend, Gary Shear. Tell in two or three sentences, tell us about you. Uh, two or three sentences. Uh, I've done ministry in Tennessee. I've done ministry in uh, Virginia, Phoenix, Arizona and helped with two new churches in the Phoenix area, and then uh, 21 years at uh, Victor Valley Christian Church in Hesperia, California, and the last 10 years with Solomon. Yay. Thanks, Gary. Then let's go. I see Russell on my screen. Russell, why don't you share mm -hmm. a bit? Uh, it's been sentences. a can Russell do it in two sentences, right? That's the, the verdict. Is, the verdict is still out. I, uh, I'm looking at my cue cards. Listen, uh, 45 years in ministry, uh, most of it in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and uh, 21 years as the senior minister there at Fairfield Christian Church in Lancaster, Ohio, and over 11 years here now with uh, Solomon. So that's pretty encouraging. Thanks, Russell. You did it. Uh, Ken, I count you as a part of the field team. How about you? Two sentences. I've been in uh, preaching since I was 20 years old and uh, was in full-time evangelism for a couple of years. Little known fact, um, preaching revival meetings back in the day. Do you remember anybody even know what a revival meeting is? Uh, <laughs> then... Uh, 34 years at Ozark Christian College and uh, 10 years at Crossroads Christian Church in Southwest Indiana and six years uh, coming up on seven years with the Solomon Foundation. And uh, it's all just as fresh and alive at 
age 75, which is how many years from age 20, do the math, 55 <laughs> years. And it's, it's just as uh, fulfilling and exciting for me to serve the Lord in this, in this season as it was in my 20s. Yes. Thank you, Ken. Doug Fultz. Yes. Uh, hi, I cover the Southeast, and uh, I was a senior minister for 30 years, been with Solomon for six years. Love, love the Solomon team and what we get to do. Great. Uh, do, do we have Raleigh and Randy with us today? I think that they maybe had meetings, but I don't want to. Raleigh's right there. Raleigh's on. Raleigh, your turn. I was born and raised south of the border, the uh, Canadian border in Montana. <laughs> and my wife and I will celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary this Sunday. I like to tell people we want a small family. So we stopped with five kids and all of them are going to be joining us in Nebraska. So I preached for 37 years and I've been with Solomon for three. And when I grow up, I can't decide if I want to be exactly like Russell or Ken Eidelman, but one of those two. <laughs> easy, easy answer on that. Go for Russell. <laughs> oh, no. uh, well, that's the team, plus our really great friend, Randy, who is in the Michigan area. He's really fabulous too. A lot of great um, resources that you can reach through him. He's not with us today. He's in another meeting, but I wanted you guys to know this team because this team is cheering for you, praying for you, available to you, wants to be friends with you and is in a church working with just different churches across the United States on a really regular basis. So now that you know their credentials and who they are, Let's start with a few questions. What I want to talk about first is the restoration movement. Uh, and one of the neat things I see this field team doing is they'll get a call from a church or um, let's say a, someone that knows us gives a reference to another church in the area. They'll go and meet with them and maybe they don't do communion every Sunday or maybe they don't have elders, but in every other way, identify as a restoration movement church. Or maybe there's a small doctrinist issue. What these guys are doing is having really neat conversations with these independent church leaders about the way that God designed the church to be and winning them over, which is, I love these stories. So the first question that I have for you guys is, is the restoration movement moving? And if so, how are you seeing that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll just start real quickly. You know, one of the refreshing things I've seen is something that, that the independent church has been trying, you know, we've been trying to do this for decades. But we're really just seeing it in the last five years, and that's really a coming together of the independent church and the church Christ, uh, especially the, the predominantly uh, African-American churches of Christ. Uh, and we're seeing that just through the fellowship that's happening with our gatherings, uh, with uh, the partnerships and 
and ministry partnerships that we've developed with a lot of these churches, especially these African-American churches have been under-resourced for so many years. And we've been able to step in there and, and really help these churches go to a whole different level. And uh, there's been some trust built through that. And young leaders like Orpheus Hayward and some of these fellows, you, you need to get on Facebook and look at some of the conversations that's going on back and forth with a lot of these young leaders. There is an enormous transition going on in that branch of the restoration movement that is so encouraging. And uh, I, I'm seeing some great, great things happening there. And I think we've been able to be there uh, not trying to push who we are on them, but just being a partner and just help facilitate some of those churches moving forward and, and acquiring these facilities and expanding their ministry. Just been great to see. Mm -hmm. Renee, there's, a, I think, a remarkable, um, you don't have to be my twin to be my brother. And uh, John Wilkie and uh, I want to say that Dr. West and Elmer Assembly, uh, we may not be twins, but man, they're my brothers. And we don't have to have a congruent theological template to worship together. Our early uh, restoration movement folks, Martin W. Stone called the Holy Spirit it, would not assign a, per a personal pronoun to the Holy Spirit. And he and Campbell were completely different. I mean, Martin W. Stone was about unity and uh, you know, Campbell was about, he's brilliant debater. He wanted facts, figures, and, and uh, was a debate team, one-man debate team. I, I sense our movement is maturing. We're, we're improving our reach. I don't care if it's the International Churches of Christ, uh, our friends uh, in the African-American church. Candidly, uh, Doug Crozier and the team looked at African-American churches, uh, hundreds and hundreds of them under I mean, Orpheus Hayward spread out on his table a set of plans he had for seven years, and he couldn't find somebody to fund him with a million dollars in the bank. And so Doug uh, gets high marks for courage. A hundred million dollars plus is beyond be warm and be filled. And so 160,000 new people and 44,000 baptisms in the 400 and some churches. So the, the restoration movement, I think, is moving again beyond legalism. Uh, and we're maturing in the fact that we're accepting people who don't look and act exactly like we do on on baptism is uh, burial and resurrection. That's not for sale. I think uh, elders, a lot of them are there or in process. I know, John Wilkie, you're a church plant and you've been training your elders and getting ready. You've named them four or five of them. They've been studying. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing our uh, elderships mature and um Communion every Sunday, candidly. Uh, Ken, what's your read on that? You're, you're a longtime uh, Bible student, uh, 55 years in ministry. What do you see? Well, we had the example of the New Testament church on the first day of the week when they assembled for, for worship to break bread. Communion was at the center of what they did when they met together on the first day of the week. And although we don't have commandments we do have precedent and we do have the example of the new testament church and i think uh, that most of the leaders that i talk to have just never had anybody open a conversation with them about it 
and talk to talk to them about the fact that it ought to be offered every week uh, just for the benefit of of the people who assemble and and maybe the once a month that the pastor prescribes that we have the Lord's Supper isn't the Sunday that they are there. So there, there just needs to be a higher regard for the, the ordinances, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I think it's, it's there, but it's dormant. And we need to raise those conversations, have those conversations with leaders. And I find that, that a lot, there's a lot of openness and uh, they just have kind of fallen in line with their tradition whatever it happens to be, and they've never really looked at it biblically and from a standpoint of common sense. And when you do, I found they're very receptive to, to uh, taking that step. Most ministers, Ken, I find, do not know that the early church for centuries practiced uh, weekly communion on the first day of the week and that the Catholic church candidly usurped that uh, in about the 400s with the priest uh, practicing transubstantiation. They believed you had to have the miracle of the mass and a priest to be there. And, but the priest, every Sunday, the Catholic Church still has communion every Sunday, but it's the priest partaking on behalf of the church. Mm-hmm. When I tell them that we believe in the priesthood of believers and going back to the ancient practice, uh, I encourage them to at least make communion available in the foyer every week for those who wish to partake. Mm-hmm. Is that a step? Mm-hmm. Renee, in response to your question uh, about is the restoration movement moving, I remember uh, in 1980 when there was a meeting in St. Louis that called together uh, 200 leaders from uh, Bible colleges, churches, mission organizations. We met in St. Louis and we addressed that very question. What can we do to get the restoration movement moving again? At that time, there was one church, uh, maybe two churches, Los Gatos, California, and First Christian Church, Canton, Ohio, that had attendances in excess of uh, a thousand, between a thousand and two thousand. And uh, we were not doing anything in the area of new church planting. And in 1980, there there was a, a spark that that happened in the chemistry of that meeting. And since that time, over the last what now 40. 42 years, we have just had an explosion of new church plants, and we have seen our mega churches uh, grow incredibly to the extent that now we have churches that, that have in excess of 30,000 worshiping on multiple campuses, and, uh, and, and now a, a mega church of two, is 2,000 or more, an emerging mega church is 1,000 or more. And the growth that we've had as a restoration movement, independent Christian churches and churches of Christ has been really unmatched among all groups in terms of new church plants and, uh, and the growth of, uh, of megachurches and emerging megachurches. And so is the movement moving? Absolutely, it is. It's, it's revitalized. The concerns I have are uh, we don't have standard publishing any longer. We don't have the North American Christian Convention any longer. We have lost a half a dozen Bible colleges in the last 10 years. And our leadership pipeline is really uh, slowing to a trickle. And that will have an impact on where we are in 10 years or 20 years. 
And so uh, the things that have bound us together, given us an identity as a movement, uh, are no longer in place. And I, I, uh, I'm concerned about that as we look to the, to the future. So presently, it's encouraging, it's positive. Looking down the line, uh, I, I do have some concerns. The restoration movement has always been moving because the movement began at Pentecost and has continued to move. And so what the real question for us is to ask, are we going to be in that tide that is moving? Because God is always going to reform, restore, and bring back to the heart of the issues when the church goes away. We want goes astray, and we need to figure out whether we're in that tide. I do believe we don't understand how well positioned we are to make an impact upon this nation and around the world with the simple restoration plea, which says, no creed but Christ, which says the scriptures are where we speak, and when they don't speak, we don't speak. And on that simple basis, we can develop a unity and a movement that transforms communities, transforms cities. And our simple question is, are we in that tide as when as God moves? Because what we're seeing is, whether I'm working with Rosier Road Church of Christ, African American Church of Christ, very traditional, elder-led, elder empowers everything, or whether West Hills which is wanting to leave a denomination and a Baptist group and simply because of the preacher knowing the restoration movement is leading them to be a fully independent congregation. Then I run across real life ministries who doesn't know, have any idea who Jim Putman is in Arizona and they have no affiliation, absolutely none. And then I speak with my brother-in-law who is in a disciples church he has the tragic uh, role of being the hospice chaplain for two congregations and selling, selling their buildings. And then you go into the ICOC with their various traditions. What is the common denominator in all of those? Jesus is Lord. He is our creed. And we trust the scriptures. Now, what happens is when we move away from our creed being Christ and move away from scriptures being the identity and the formation, the rule of practice for the church, then we see churches beginning to die. We have to learn to stay out of our own way to unite ourselves with the movement of Christ and the movement of God. Because if we step away from some of these principles, God will just raise up another entity, another group, who will keep moving uh, the church forward. Mm -hmm. And one of the great periods of our history was after the Civil War up until about 1890, when we had people starting churches, bankers started churches, contractors started churches, farmers started churches. And I am sad to see what's happening with our Bible colleges, Ken. I'm sad to see that we don't have some larger rallying positions and places, but I still trust Christ as Lord of his church. I still trust the scripture and trust some people who will take hold of Jesus and take hold of the word and will start churches 
and we need to get out of our own way and stop trying to, to figure out who's not in with us and try to figure who out who is on the out and figure out how can we be Christ to one another and be a part of his church and the movement because the gates of COVID, the gates of liberalism, the gates of sin will not prevail against his church. And if we trust that, Katie, bar the door. Yes. Oh. Okay, I love all these comments on this question. And first thing I want to do is say sorry to Jason. I introduced you in the beginning and then forgot to ask you for your two sentences. Jason's in Colorado. Can you share two sentences about you? And then I'm going to open the floor to anybody else on the call, anybody on the call that wants to comment on is the restoration movement moving? Thanks, Renee. <laughs> uh, I'm not offended at all. Uh, those guys have a, all of these awesome RVPs. You know, I get to lean on them a lot because they have all the experience and know-how and uh, wisdom. So I'm just grateful that uh, I get to sit and listen listen to them talk. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, in Colorado. Um, I'm the relationship manager here um, in uh, Colorado and Wyoming. And uh, I'm born and raised south of the border, just like Rowley in uh, Libby, Montana. Uh, my home church was, uh, with Phil Allstall, uh, Phil Allstall, Austin, I heard you talking about him earlier. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's me. Thanks, Jason. Does anybody else have a comment or question or thought on their heart about the question of, is the restoration movement moving? Renee, I'll pipe in just uh, for a moment here, uh, kind of a follow-up to Ken um, and uh, the, uh, the rally that happened in 1980 uh, was obviously huge. Um, and of course, the loss of the North American was huge. Uh, but when you look at the numbers, um, it's pretty amazing because as Ken shared, there was probably one, maybe two Churches over a thousand in 1980, and and I believe the number today is well over 200. Uh, you know, you've got uh, not only the mega church, but I call it the giga church. Churches over 5,000. That is probably 20 churches in our movement, maybe more. Uh, so the growth of the mega church and the giga church uh, has really been a a, a catalyst. Uh, to the growth of our movement. And I think one of the things that I see is uh, a lot of people say, well, the mega churches and the giga churches grow because they water down their doctrine. And I think that's absolutely false. I think that the, the giga churches and the mega churches probably have the strongest doctrine of the vast majority of our churches. Not that the smaller or mid-sized churches don't, but but I look at uh, leaders like uh, Kyle Eidelman and, and uh, Ashley Woolridge, and uh, th these are men that, um, you know, took over for great leaders. I mean, uh, you know, Gary, you sat in the Wil Don and Sue Wilson's living room 40-some years ago, and four couples started CCV. Uh, today, that church runs 35, 38,000 every Sunday. And when Don retired four or five years ago, it was running 25, 28,000. Everybody thought it was going to fall apart. No. 
did the opposite. Uh, same with Kyle. You know, when, when Bob Russell made the key decision, uh, everyone knew that Dave Stone was the heir apparent to Bob Russell, but Bob Russell had the leadership skills and the, and the, and the vision to bring in Kyle uh, to, to continue that legacy. Uh, and, and again, what Kyle has accomplished at, at uh, uh, Southeast is incredible. Uh, but when you look across the landscape of the United States, there's just uh, so many great things happening in our movement. Um, and I, I know Solomon's a small part of that, but we're, we're just grateful that we can continue to serve and grow and, and bring in uh, new churches uh, into our movement um, and, and help expand and keep the, the restoration movement moving. Doug, you wouldn't say it, but I would, uh, I would sure say it. Um, in the six plus years that I've been with the Solomon Foundation, I do not know of a, a catalytic influence that is greater on our movement right now than the Solomon Foundation. Uh, guys on this call, you just have no idea how many times there are grants made by the Solomon Foundation to fund conferences and conventions and retreats and experiences for church leaders and uh and the number of uh times that the solomon foundation has stepped up to do things that have influenced our movement for example uh, rescuing the christian standard and and the lookout for our churches across the country and uh, the things that the Solomon Foundation ha have done to invest in the vitality of the Bible colleges. Uh, it's a long list, too long to mention here, but um, I thank God that the Solomon Foundation was raised up uh, not even 12 years ago to be this catalytic, catalytic influence on, on the restoration movement and on the cause of New Testament Christianity. The four pillars of, of our movement, the Lordship of Christ, the authority of the Bible, the unity of believers, the evangelization of the world. Uh, no one who is biblically literate can argue with that. And if those things are held up as the standard, the gold standard, we're going to see health and growth in the movement into the future. I am an optimist, uh, and uh, I appreciate Gary's testimony in that regard and and uh let's let's keep it let's keep feeding the fire great comments i really appreciate this conversation and steve made a comment in the chat room that has made me want to share something with you guys uh i'm going to share my screen and it's something that we will include in the next blast email uh of announcement of the meet of these weekly calls, we'll, we'll put a link to this document. It's a document that Jerry Harris compiled through the Christian standard. It's called, what kind of church is this? And it's a compilation of articles, one that wants to be restored, one that goes to the source, one that understands where it stands, one that is independent and connected, and one that finds unity irresistible. And each of these are written by a different leader in the movement. This is a fantastic document that I have seen used as preaching and teaching material. 
I've also seen it used in membership classes, something handed out during membership classes. So we're gonna be sure to um, share this with you guys. What kind of church is this? Jerry Harris of The Crossing also did a whole sermon series that you could find online that I'm sure he'd share um, all that information with you as well if you reach out to him. But we'll include this resource to you guys for free, download it, print it, recreate it uh, as far as like reprinting it as many times as you would like to for membership classes or for your use at your church. Um, that's a great resource. Mm -hmm. So the next question I have for you guys is for the Solomon team, and then we'll open it up to anyone is when you're out there traveling, meeting with churches and church leaders across the United States, what are ways that you're seeing the church succeed and what are ways that you're seeing the church struggle? On this, I get asked this question quite a bit, and the one thing I'm seeing is churches that are staying intentional are doing well. Those that are hunkered down and maybe apprehensive, maybe fearful, I'm not sure they're ever going to get the momentum back. So being intentional in Houston, Texas is going to look different than it is in Aurora, Colorado. And it's not going to look the same as it does in Post Falls. But if the lead guy is, as John really did a great job explaining, creating that DNA for the churches, and if they're staying intentional, I think they're going to do well because uh, people are tired of hunkering down. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. No one wants to go through life swimming laps. And as my wife would say, nobody wants mamby-pamby preaching. They want someone that's going to preach the word. So there's a lot of people out there that are hungry. And if we stay intentional, you know, the scriptures let us know if we lift up Jesus, all men will be drawn to him. So that's what I'm seeing, Renee. Mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of conversation in the last few years about whether the church should focus on being attractional or missional. And um, I, I think it's uh, uh, the power of the and here. Uh, it's not either or, it's both and. Our, our churches must be both attractional and missional. We've got to go and bring them in. And, and we've got to, once we have them there, give them an experience in the life of the church, whether it's a worship service or a small group experience that makes them want to, to return. Uh, so the, uh, I, I think we need to get away from the, trying to make a choice between which, the, which we'll do and embrace both and employ the power of the and. I'm seeing two things occur as uh, meeting with churches. And one is many times the leadership, especially when pursuing a building pursuing a piece of property, trying to make a financial decision, the church leadership gets in its own way and slows down the process and misses opportunities to buy a building, to buy a piece of property, and they miss out on an opportunity because it takes too long. One church that I'm working with, trying to set up a meeting for August for a process to build and to add on to their facility and on the email to try to sort out two dates, 
20 some people have to respond in order to get that date set. There'll be so many buildings and so many contracts missed in that whole process. So it needs to narrow down leadership so decisions can be made quickly. The transition that took place at Christ Church of the Valley from Don Wilson to Ashley Woolridge, and both of those guys have done a great job in that process. And there's one thing that has helped that process for the church to continue to grow because there was a biblical mission that we started out with sitting on the couches in his living room. And that mission is still in place today. And I can go back to a campus at CCV and I will experience the same mindset, drive, direction, philosophy of ministry, purpose that was uh, there in the living room with Don and I and Richard Bloodworth. So the DNA is the key and a biblical DNA. Thanks, Gary. Anybody else on the Solomon team have input on what you're seeing out there? Churches, how are churches struggling? How are churches succeeding? Every church has a thumbprint, its own DNA, and depending on where you're at. But like Gary said, it comes down to leadership. And if there is a um, trust in the core, um, if you have to have um, unanimity among 20 people, it's the speed of glacial. <laughs> and you're right. The, the difference in those churches that can have trust in their leadership and can move um, at, a, at a better pace, they will experience a harvest. I think, what, Renee, uh, just uh, jumping in here, uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, really over the last five years is just uh, we've uncovered uh, so many churches that are restoration movement, they just don't know it. Um, and, and that's just been a really a great thing. I know for our team to be able to work with a lot of churches that had no idea what the restoration movement was about, but yet when you dove in to the details of what they believed and where they were at, they were just as restoration movement as First Christian Church Canton. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that's the exciting thing uh, that I'm seeing yeah. is just this entire um, growth of our brotherhood, uh, not just from church planting, but but also from, from the fact that there's just a lot of churches that are restoration movement. They don't know it. And, and Doug, also to, to add to that, there are churches who have become familiar with the restoration movement and have been so impressed. Uh, I've got a meeting set up this week with a church that was formerly a Southern Baptist church in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, and um, they did an accommodation loan to buy the old Harvest Point property. And Philip is saying, man, I am so impressed with who you guys are. Help me find out about how I can become, you know, a part of your all's family. And what does that involve? And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. It's great guys. It's, it's a happening church grown up to over 400. It's multicultural to the core. Uh, it's just a great, great partnership we're going to have there. But we're seeing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Doug, there's a, a virtual epidemic ignorance among a lot of our people about the restoration movement that are in Christian churches that are 100 years old. And um, I think we need to revive the sense that we belong to a movement of churches across the country that are just going back to the Bible, going back to Jesus. And so many of our people do not know a lot about the restoration movement. I'm talking about elders. The restoration plea is really in vogue at a grassroots level out there. And uh, I've noticed a lot of the mainline denominations are dropping their denominational names. Well, that happened uh, when the restoration movement was born. And uh, here we are several decades later, but now this has been picked up in, uh, in a number of churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches. They're dropping their denominational names and um, and that can be step one in uh, in becoming a in a restoration church again, whether they call themselves that or not. Um, I'd like to I'd like to put somebody on the spot uh, because he's one of my favorite guys, so I want to put him on the spot here. But Matt Richardson, who's the lead pastor at New Church in Winston Salem, uh, grew up. In the restoration movement, went to a restoration movement school. Uh, he, his parents and his family, longtime members at uh, uh, Mount Pleasant a Christian Church, and um, Matt took a church in Winston Salem. And I'd just be curious, from your seat, Matt, what what that transition has been like, and 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 how you've uh, accomplished that. Yeah, thank you uh, for the opportunity. Um, I I have been smiling through this whole thing because I feel like this has been so much of our story. As a uh, a kid who grew up in the restoration movement, didn't know anything but the restoration movement, uh, went to Cincinnati Christian and still was just inundated with the restoration movement. And uh, I'm kind of the opposite, I guess, end of the spectrum in that uh, we, we moved to North Carolina and realized that there's a church outside of the restoration movement. And, um, and so we took over a church that uh, was independent, um, had a little bit of Baptist roots uh, from its, its uh, beginnings, but, but very much just independent with, with no network, no community to belong to, uh, really just isolated um, great church, amazing things happening, but just no community, no brotherhood. And, uh, and so for us, as we began exploring needing a building, um, you know, for me, I, I'm just, I'm, I am restoration movement 101. And so a phone call to Doug Fultz and to Chris Philbeck, who is my lead pastor, like, Hey, am I, can we make this work? And, you know, through a few phone calls, it was very clear uh, exactly what uh, Doug said earlier. There's a lot of churches that, that uh, their restoration movement, they just don't realize it. Uh, and our church is a prime example of that. Um, through my interview process, uh, the, really the two hiccups were um, baptism and communion. We are a church where uh, uh, previously, um, people would get saved, people are getting saved left and right, but they weren't being baptized for six months. Uh, 
And uh, I was like, listen, if I'm going to be your, if I'm going to come and be your lead pastor, this has to change, uh, not necessarily in theology, uh, but in the urgency piece that we're going to baptize people when they seek, uh, when they seek the Lord, when they find the Lord and use the, the analogy of, of the wedding ceremony that the, the, the wedding ring that I'm wearing uh, on my finger does not make me married, but it is the proclamation of my marriage. And you'd never have a wedding ceremony without the giving and wearing of rings. And so uh, for, for me, that, that has been, I'm, I'm just going to be completely straight, y'all. Uh, it, it's been hard to transition our church through this. Um, when you put a title on something and you tell someone that you're part of the restoration movement, it just, it associates you with certain things. And so we actually have had a few people Google uh, the restoration movement. And when you do that, you can get all sorts of things and it's caused some trouble. Uh, but when people are willing to have a conversation uh, about what that really means, communion was the other piece, uh, so much so that I didn't think I was going to get the job because of it. We are a church that, uh, uh, you know, and I wanted to be respectful through the interview process about this, but I, I couldn't I couldn't fathom that we our church took communion twice a year and that was it. Uh, and so more than the baptism thing was like, guys, uh, I just don't see it biblically. I see this as just an incredibly important piece of the gathering of the body of Christ. And, uh, and so where we came to an agreement is that we would start making it available every single week. Um, that was baby step number one. And so then we take it together, uh, as a church once a month. Uh, so we're just baby stepping it and it, it's probably going to stay this way for a couple of years. Um, but we're, we're normalizing communion and um, we're breaking down that that thought process that so many of us grew up in that that communion is a transition moment in a service. It's just not that it is. It's coming back to the foot of the cross and acknowledging what Jesus accomplished for us and uh, his body and his blood. And so there's there's a beauty in that. But um you know, when you're in a highly Baptist culture, there's a lot of assumptions as to what communion weekly is, but we're on the right track. It's just going to take a, uh, a five to 10 year outlook, I think for some people. So if it were up to me, we'd be doing it weekly right now. Uh, but we're, we're, we're playing the long game here. So thank you for the chance to share some of that, but we're very grateful to be part of this. And I have felt connected to the restoration movement since day one, but I, I feel like our church is getting there. We're uh, getting getting to, to start some conversations with Mike Nave about helping with some of our eldership situations. I've got four elders who are the salt of the earth, but they have been elders in Baptist churches in the past. And so they still think they're a board of directors and they just cannot get it through their brains uh, what eldership actually is supposed to be. Um, but we're, there's a willingness. And so we're working towards that together. One, one other comment I just got to share about Matt is he, he's one of those guys, kind of like John, who gave our devotion this morning. I, I'm sure you related with John a lot, Matt. But, but uh, Matt took the job as the lead pastor at New Church one week before COVID broke. So and today... New Church is a very, very successful partner with the Solomon Foundation, purchased a theater uh, building, uh, renovated that, and has seen uh, major growth uh, post-COVID. So uh, thanks, Matt, for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Well, thank you guys for participating in that conversation. 
I put uh, the RVP's email in the chat room. It's rvp at the solomonfoundation.org. Ever have a question? Uh, feel free to lean on them. Um, and I just want to tell you guys that I am incredibly proud and impressed uh, by all of you and um, all the ways you honor God. It is a privilege to get to spend time with you. And I would just like to ask Dr. West to just say a prayer over us. Um, and then we can be out and off to have a great week. Lord. I'd like, I'd like Dr. West to share a few words before he, he prays because, uh, he's a born and bred restoration movement guy from, uh, Australia and I value his, uh, his thoughts on today's, uh, session. Yes. <laughs> Many generations. My dad was a church of Christ pastor. Uh, my wife's dad and grandfather were Church Christ uh, pastors. Uh, we have, uh, we have just, uh, the thing I love about communion is that it's the one time where everybody focuses on Jesus in that moment. And sometimes it's, uh, it's amazing because I, you know, we, we've all been to churches, uh, services outside of our own uh, restoration movement, and we can go through the entire service and Jesus is, and sometimes, and not, not intentionally, but sometimes Jesus name never comes up. And I just love the fact that communion just brings us back. Everybody just brings us back to that moment that it, what it's all about, that Jesus sent by God, the father, as he hung on the cross the sins of all mankind poured into him. And then in return, the righteousness of Jesus is poured into those who believe that that moment is so precious. It grounds us all. And uh, I just, I, I just love uh, being a part of, of what God has done uh, and is continuing to do through the restoration movement. I think, uh, God is using the Solomon Foundation in a in a in a very unique way to uh, to to bring bring a vitality and uh, opportunity to uh, the restoration movement. So I'm very grateful for you, Doug and and Renee, and for the field team: Gary Shear, Russell Johnson, Ken Eidelman, Doug Fultz, Rolly Hutton. Randy Wheeler and Jason Schnackenberg. I hope I got that right, Jason. Uh, what a what a fabulous team of uh, of of field guys who are out there meeting with these churches. We we are just blessed by your leadership. Thank you for what you're doing, and I would love to pray for each and every one of you. Father God in heaven, thank you for this time that we can come together. Thank you that. Uh, that the community that we experience is filled with your Holy Spirit and the passion for your gospel. Lord God, every person on this Zoom call is playing such a vital role in moving your kingdom forward. And Lord, you know that this world is, is just getting crazier by the moment. And, uh, and, and God, that just makes the, the radiance of the gospel shine even brighter. So Lord, give us, uh, give us strength, continue to give us opportunity May this week be a tremendous week in being able to do what you've called us to do, and that is bring uh, the hope of the gospel 
to, to the lives of everyone we meet. Lord, bless every leader here. May this week be a fantastic week for all of them, and we look forward to getting back together again next Tuesday. We pray all these things, and we thank you, Jesus, for being the one who has saved us and given us such a, a wonderful mission. We pray in your name. Amen.